because you're jumping back into the gut. Hey coach, welcome to the basketball podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Awesome to welcome New Orleans Pelicans assistant coach Casey Hill to the Basketball Podcast. Prior to being named an assistant with the Pelicans, he also served in the same role for the LA Clippers. Hill has been a head coach in the NBA G League, serving four years as the head coach for the Santa Cruz Warriors and one year as head coach for the Aguacolante Clippers. Casey, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to talking. Well, great topic. I'm excited to dive into uh, season planning and uh, staff makeup and getting into coaches retreats and talking about some of those things. But let's just start. I mean, one of the advantages I've got to think you have is that you've had head coaching experience extensively, really, in the G League as well as being an NBA assistant coach. And uh, those experiences have to help you when you talk about all things in basketball, don't they? Yeah, definitely. I think I was given the opportunity early on in my career to take the reins of of a team in Santa Cruz. And the experience that you get when you go through that is just, it's unbelievably valuable. It's all about how you approach it and the way that things go. And I was fortunate enough to get good players and be given a lot of great resources in Santa Cruz, have good staffs, and we executed on a lot of things that we were given. And from an experiential standpoint, being able to take that and couple it with my playing experience wherever it was and kind of filter that into being an assistant coach was huge and really kind of helped me step right into whatever next role was. And for me, it was being an assistant coach for Doc Rivers in LA. It was wonderful. It was a great experience. No doubt. And we're going to get into those experiences and uh, you know help us shape a better understanding of how to plan for a season. And it's great timing because really, again, your season ended. New Orleans had a great, great season in all respects. And now you're in this off-season mode. So maybe take us through just right now. What are you doing to plan for next season? Right now, I'm recharging my batteries. So really nothing. <laughs> which, which I wanted you to say. So thank you. Because yeah, I think yeah. coaches don't understand that's so important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, I was talking to one of my buddies yesterday. It's tough at the end of the season when, you know, things end, whether you're satisfied or unsatisfied or whatever it is, usually unsatisfied if you haven't won a championship, you're kind of ready to disconnect for a little while. But then again, there's all this great basketball going on still. So there's this like fight internal struggle that I think a lot of us have where it's like, okay, I want to disconnect, but then, Ooh, look at that coverage, look what they're doing there or whatever it is. So it's always a little difficult until the finals end. You can actually completely disconnect for a while, but that's kind of what it looks like for me. I think everyone else probably has their own way of going about it, but I think, I think for the most part, that's, that's what, that's what it looks like. Right. And different is different is good in this sense, because obviously the the intensity of the season and, you know, really there's there's no days off in a sense during the season. So you're truly kind of having your own time, to, whether it's even a passion project or it's just your own time. You're getting that feeling of recharging, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I you know, I'm a DIY guy, so I, I had like a list of little projects around the house that I wanted to do once the season was over. And I kind of dove headfirst into those and, and, and did them and uh, things like that. So it's definitely, I think, extremely important to disconnect, recharge your batteries. Willie says, fill your cup, which I think is a, a great term. And, and then you can kind of really dive back into it when it's when it's time. Well, that, and then that's a great segue. So filling your cup. So you have this off season now and let's let's focus on, you know, the learning and the process of learning and filling your cup up before you have to empty it again. And we'll get back into when you have to empty it. But how are you filling your cup up when you get into some of your development for you personally in terms of your coach development? You know, I read a lot of books and usually the books that I like to read have nothing to do with basketball. It's more whether it's business or another sport or just a concept that I think could really kind of filter into any kind of philosophy that we use or, or, or try to implement throughout the season. Just soaking up different things because you know it's been done i mean coaches go to football practices or soccer practices and things like that and and just learn how people you know do things i think it's important to do that through what you're reading as well so i i try to read three four five books every every summer and i the way i read is 
slowly. I'll read a chapter, I'll highlight things, then I'll go back and I'll write down my notes on the things that I highlighted and really try to absorb the information or why that really kind of spurred me to highlight in the first place. So it's a slower read, but it's something that I've found effective in terms of being able to take a good concept and actually apply it you know, quickly. But then outside of that, I think watching film and pull, pulling film that actually like speaks to you and not just watching film to say you watched it. Like, oh, I watched a bunch of pick and rolls today or I watched something here. It's like, find the things that you legitimately think you need to get better at that you legitimately feel like you can bring value to once the season begins or once your conversations as a staff begin, start doing those things. And then also communicate when you're doing, so you're not duplicating efforts around your staff or whoever's around like, Hey, I'm looking at this. What have you been looking at? That kind of stuff. Oh, if you're looking at that, then I'll do this. Like, I think that's good too. So really there's, I try to change up the process every summer a little bit in terms of how I do it just to try to, you know, try new things and see if something sticks, if something doesn't, you know, that kind of stuff. And then, you know, by the time I'm done with that, it's time to jump back into the season. I know you get asked anyways, after you said that. So what are some of the books that you've read that are non-basketball books that you would recommend for people? So the one book that I, that I read recently is called Boys in the Boat. It's about a rowing team went to the 1936 Olympics and it's just, it's got unbelievably rich concepts in it. And it kind of, if you, if you read it and then really kind of absorb the information and then apply all those different concepts to what you're doing, whether it's basketball coaching or, or anything, there's really good stuff in there. It was Steve Kerr actually mentioned it in one of our conversations years ago, and I just never got around to reading it. I just, I just finished reading it. It's a, it's a wonderful book. I'm halfway through a book called The Obstacle is the Way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a stoicism type of approach to how you see things to get in your way, which has been great. You know, it's, it's a really good kind of look at how you deal with things that mess you up. And I've loved reading that so far. And then I always try to read at least a small part of the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, because I think there's just unbelievable good stuff in that. Yeah. Ryan Holiday's stuff is excellent. And I'm actually trying to get my, my daughter to read it. Uh, Stoicism is such a great philosophy. So tremendous. So you mentioned some of these projects. So And that was a curious question as well. So you mentioned coordinating with your staff, but are some assignments given to you as well in terms of eventually Coach Green wants you to really dive deep into this, or is it mainly passion-driven by you right now? Mostly passion-driven. I think once we get to like the month, one month before training camp, two months before training camp, we'll start kind of thinking and talking about different things. But right now it's more just recharging your batteries you know, and then making your list of things that you want to really focus on and diving into them. And then once we back, we get back together and we start talking, there's, you know, moments where the things that you've worked on, you can kind of slide those in. Well, here, here's something I did and maybe we can apply it at some point, which I think is great. You know, I, I think it's really nice to just kind of have that time to, to do it yourself, find things that you're passionate about, dive into them. And then once you get back together, you can really kind of use all that to focus in and, and build your, your structure for the year to come. Well, that's great. Well, let's jump ahead to when you start to get back together and to talk about preparation and building a foundation for the season. So you've given me some really cool things to be able to ask about. So thank you. And one of them is this concept of write a handbook. Can you talk about the handbook concept? Yeah. So something my father told me, like when I first got a head coaching job, he was like, listen, the first thing you need to do is, is write a handbook for your staff, whether it's, 15 to 16 pages or 25 to 30 pages. Like you need to sit down and give thought. And I thought for, for that, that concept for me was massive. You know, some coaches don't need to do it and it works. It's fine. You know, but this is thing, these are things that have kind of worked for my, my list of instincts that have allowed me to step in with a number of your staff, I think is really, really important because it forces you to actually Going into the process of writing it, like I realized, man, I haven't given some of these guys the thought that they probably need to have. And it spurred conversations. Like I'd be writing, you know, a list of responsibilities for a guy. And I'd be like, you know what? I need to ask him again what he wants to do. Or maybe I need to review like what my expectations of him are. And it kind of gave me a really kind of streamlined view into into my meeting, especially with, I mean, I had G League staffs, which were probably. 30% of what it is, but it's still like 
giving every, every guy the thought was massive because then you can streamline your thought process and, and continue to move forward as you go through your process. So roles and responsibilities, rules and guidelines, expectations, contact list. One of the things that you indicated was player matters and player communication. Can you dive deeper with that one? Because I think that's a great one. Yeah, I thought the, the, like, the one thing that I never wanted to do as a head coach was create this atmosphere of like coaches, players. Like I always wanted it to be intermingled, you know, and I, and I always like when you bring other coaches on that they come from different philosophies, you know, and they, a lot of times are mirrors of those philosophies until they kind of become a real part of, of what you're trying to do. And I always wanted them to understand, like, listen, we're, we're developing a partnership with our players. This isn't like a, a top down, like we are going to have communication with them in terms of like conversation, like engage our players in conversation, create an atmosphere of legitimate like discussion. And at the end of the day, what that's going to ultimately develop for us is way more trust. And that was huge for me. One of the first things that we talked about going into things. And then what was the other thing? I'm sorry. It was player communication and well, it was this concept of player matters and player communication. So you're yeah, basically- so player, sorry, player matters. Yes. Yeah, so the player matters was, you know, make sure like everyone's their stuff. Like everyone's got their issues. Everyone's got their off the court stuff. Make sure that we're sensitive to those things. Like you can't dismiss what these guys have going on in their lives. You have to be very, very sensitive to them. And that was another thing like with the player matters thing. It's like, don't mess with off the court stuff. If you don't know what it is, but just make sure that you're communicating and you're sensitive to those things so we can develop an atmosphere of trust and comfort when they're under our roof. Well, I love that. I love the concept of players are active participants in what you're doing, right? It's it's a shared process. So that's tremendous. And then building on that a little bit, you talked about prep the prep. And I love this phrase. I'm big on phrasing. So do what you need to do to feel comfortable with how you like to play that season. It just makes sense, but it wouldn't, what an important step for you in this off season, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think prepping the prep is just doing the work in terms of before you even start preparing, like do the research, mm-hmm. like really kind of dive into things and, and recognize like, and it's funny because after having been an assistant in the NBA, after being a head coach, like the one thing I've realized is that you can watch a ton of film on a concept that you really like that's hurt you in the past. And it's like, I want to do that. But at, at the end of the day, you have to make sure that those concepts that you're doing actually fit the personnel that is on your team. Because listen, like if we want to be in a super deep drop because it's been hurting us all season, well, do we have a big that can be in the drop or does he need to be up at the level of the screen with backside help? Like those are the things that I think really important giving thought to how you prepare to go into a season. All right, like prioritize. This makes sense for us. Next step, here's the next thing that makes sense for us. Here's the best one that is going to make sense for it. Like going through that and then going into the how you prepare in terms of presenting that to your team, I think is massive. It's absolutely massive. And I, I love this, this point too, which is don't keep secrets from your staff, share everything. You know, and we might be under the impression that like, I mean, again, job preservation is important for you, just like it is for a head coach. So talk us through this. Why is this so important? Well, for me, it was always just you don't necessarily want to duplicate efforts. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it could be as small as after a game. Like, here's what I'm going to look at. Here are the things that I'm going to pull. You know, you don't need to do that. Like you focus on something else or here's what I'd like you to do or anything like that. And then in terms of your preparation, like. I think it's important to just have an open line of communication in terms of here are the things that I'm thinking. Here's, here's what I'm thinking. Like, what, do, what are your thoughts? Because if you, if you share all those things, it, it turns into unbelievably like rich conversations and talks that, that elicit concepts, dynamics, you know, adjustments, whatever it is that you could talk about that you otherwise would not have spoken about. And it's, it all, it's all born from just transparency in terms of like, I'm looking at, you know, transition defense in the third quarter because we were terrible in third, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, let's talk about it. Okay, cool. Then you move on and do something else. I think that that level of communication is, is helpful for a staff. 
So Coach Green comes in last year. He's forming a staff. So, and you've had to do this as a G League coach. So talk talk us through a little bit. What do coaches think about when they're forming a staff? Because it's not just network. It's not just who you know. There's more to it. So take us through that. You know, I can't speak for for Coach Green in terms of how he he went through it. You know, just because of know, course. He, but but for me, the one thing that I always tried to do is hire people who were I thought were smarter than me, who like. I thought could bring something to the table that I, that I can't, you know, and it was, it wasn't very hard to find people that I thought were smarter than me, you know, it's just, but it was a bit of a, like, you got to swallow your pride a little bit and put your ego aside. And if you go into an interview with a guy, you're talking to a coach that you might hire and they say some things that are impressive and like, wow, this guy's really smart. He's got his stuff together or, you know, he does something completely different from what I do. If those things can fit, and fill the holes that your weaknesses put in a, in your system. You gotta hire them. You, you gotta find a way to to put that, especially if the personalities fit with what you're doing, obviously. But you gotta hire those guys. And I think you gotta cast a wide net for the for the most part. And for me in the G League, like there was there was only so many different types of coaches that I could go after that I that I wanted to talk to. And I was lucky enough to really kind of grab a good handful of guys that I thought were smarter than me that brought a whole level of experience that like I didn't have. And we were able to kind of, at the end of the day, present a much more well-rounded communication to our players like that. At the end of the day is the, it's the goal, right? It's, it's, it's what you're trying to do in terms of putting your players in the best position to be successful, win, develop, and all those great things. You have to have a very well-rounded staff. They can allow you to do that. And that was my biggest focus going into that for sure. Hey, coach, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a product I love and have used with my teams and now with my daughters in our backyard, Dr. Dish. Use promo code immersion for exclusive savings on any of the machines. Dr. Dish basketball is accelerating player performance with the most innovative game-like training solution available, allowing coaches and players to get better faster than ever before. By providing the most usable and advanced shooting machines, on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics, Dr. Dish Basketball has become the preferred source for basketball training with progressive coaches and players. A reminder, use promo code IMMERSION for exclusive savings on any of the machines. And then you said, if you want your staff to be good at things, write those things down and make sure to discuss how you want those things to be done. And again, simplicity, really, but you know, easier said than done. So take us through that process. Yeah. So it really kind of starts with the, with the handbook, right? You, you put those things in, in the handbook, whether it's individual things or how you want to do things as a staff, you know? So the first thing that I made sure that, that our guys understood was the player, you know, concerns and communication, those in matters and communication was huge. But then also like, if I wanted our interns, our video coordinators, like their role in practice was to make sure we had an extra ball, you know, had to tell like <laughs> if a guy falls down in an NBA practice, 15 like medical staff run out of the sweat. In the G League, you don't have that. You know, in the G League, you have to make sure that you have a guy who's going to do that, have two guys that are going to do that. So towel over your shoulder, basketball under your arm, just make sure you're prepared to keep our stuff running smooth. That kind of stuff, I think, was was massive. But then again, just in terms of how we communicated pre-practice, during practice, and post-practice was really important for me. Most of the time, post-practice wasn't a big thing. But pre-practice meetings, when you come in, make sure that you've got thoughts. Like the way I did it, would I always sent the practice plan out the night before and left little holes there for us to discuss. But if you have thoughts, bring them in. Have them ready. If you want film have two or three clips to show, be prepared with that. And then we can kind of dive into it and continue moving forward. And then in practice, I didn't really necessarily give roles for practice, but it was just in terms of communicating to our players, make sure that you're not stopping practice too much. Those types of things I think was really important. And then for me, and I'm sure for you, it's been, it, like when you start a drill and you're in the middle of a drill and an assistant coach comes up to you and he, and he, and he makes a suggestion on how to make that drill better. Right then and there, it's like, we're already in it, man. Like, <laughs> let's talk about that later. Like, that yeah. was one of the things that it happened more in the G League, but one of the things that was was a little bit of a pet peeve for me 
So we made sure we covered off on that kind of stuff. But, you know, just general, like, here's how we're doing things. Here's how we have to do it. You know, whether you write it down or you just commu- you communicate it in your meeting, like that was massive. Yeah. Like you want communication, but you want the right time and place for that communication. And that's, that's just, it's probably different among staffs, isn't it? Yeah, definitely different. You know, it's just different personalities and different ways of coaching and different experiences. And, you know, the, it's funny because, you know, most of us coach, when we get to a level of coaching, we are a reflection of our experiences and who we grew up under coaching with. And, you know, it's, it's important to kind of get all those things in line and it takes time and it takes a lot of practice and it takes communication and meetings and things like that. But once you get to that level, your staff really starts to move, you know? So I think that's, that's huge. And then getting into the the staff retreat concept, uh, number one, they happen at the NBA and the G league level. Right. And then number two, are they traditionally like three days, two days? How long are they? I mean, for me, it was, it was usually two. Yeah. Others will be longer depending on how, how prepared you feel like you need to feel going into a season, things like that. I mean, NBA guys will go to a resort or whatever it is. For me in the G League, I, I mean, I, we just kind of stayed in Santa Cruz and went to the, I, the great thing was we had our arena was ours. It wasn't like contracted out ever. So we could just go in there. So we literally, I set up a whiteboard chairs at half court in our arena and kind of set the agenda for the meetings and then we would go through it. And those were anytime you're preparing, like that's the most fun for me, like sitting, getting organized, communicating, arguing, learning about each other, all those things, absolutely massive. And we were just going through our agenda. Okay. How are we going to handle practices? You know, how are we going to handle our defensive philosophy, offensive philosophy? Okay. Now game planning. How are we going to handle the draft? I mean, the draft is big because the coaching staffs in the G League, we handled all that. So that was great. I mean, and then you got to split it up because, you know, I think it's important that, you know, you go into the intellectual IQ, you know, mustard of it all. And then you come out of it and you go do something fun, whether it's like go grab lunch at a cool restaurant or even have a tea time, go play golf, whatever it is, and then come back into it. I think it's really important in terms of just developing smooth continuous lines of communication throughout the whole staff. Well, it's great stuff. And day one, kind of, and you give me a little bit of an outline here, say the handbook review and discussion, prayer, player relations. I want to come back to that offensive philosophy, defensive philosophy, player development, player relations. You mentioned non-negotiables. So can you give us some examples of some non-negotiables that you might've used within a professional environment? Well, I think the, the one thing, especially on the G League level, and, you know, I think to a certain degree on the, on the NBA level is you have to make sure that you kind of draw the line between being the friend and being the coach, you know, and there are certain things that you just can't do with players as a coach. And you have to maintain a level of respect with the players. That's really important because if, if you don't teach a young coach that hasn't really done it, you know, the, the, the lines between where you can be a good friend and it's cool, but then it could get a little dicey in terms of like doing things outside of basketball with them. You got to be careful with that and communicating that early on in terms of like, here's what my expectations are. Like you guys can take them to dinner have fun, do all that kind of stuff, but then you just got to keep it as professional as, as we want to. And that's going to help you in the long run when you have to sit conversations with a guy, like he's going to respect a little bit more than if, you know, you, you allowed that ship to get a little less, you know, professional, which I thought was, and so and most of the time you don't need to do that, but sometimes you do. And it's important that you, you define your expectations in that, in, in that realm. And then the other thing is just in terms of maintaining a level of consistency with players. Like if, if you're going to show them film, you need to figure out how you're going to do it. Okay. If it's going to be before every game, Make sure it's before every game. If you want to wait two or three games, compile some good stuff, show them then, great. But make sure you're consistent with it so they know what to expect going into every situation where they're about to compete. I think that was huge. So those were the two main things that we discussed. And then anything that came out of other guys' suggestions or from other experiences, we would, we would allow that and, and, and talk about it. 
When typically would a G League, you know, staff retreat happen versus an NBA staff retreat? Would they be around the same time? I imagine G League would be later. Yeah, so most of the time, NBA teams will bring their G League staff to training camp. Mm -hmm. And for me, like, that was a huge information gathering, like, project for us. Like, we would go help, rebound, pass, whatever it was. But you're gathering information in terms of things that you're going to implement into your system. And they may be new. So it would be completely focused on that. Take your notes. Okay. And then we would take a couple of days after we left training camp, whenever that was, to compile all that and organize it and then filter that into our agenda meeting. So it would be sometime once the preseason games began, we would dive into our meetings. It's great stuff. And uh, you talk about day two, uh, some of the topics, just practice planning, practice execution, scouting, pregame, postgame, and then NPR. So we, we've never really talked about it on here. So I'd love to get your thoughts on pregame because I thought that was fascinating that you're discussing as a staff what you want pregame to look like. Can you share some of your experiences? Yeah. So, you know, in the NBA, the pregame workouts are are wildly organized. Everyone's got their time. Everyone's got their routine. and the, the, are, are those routines and those times, are they more player driven or coach driven in terms of when they happen? It's conversation, really. Yeah. I mean, some players don't care. They're like, yeah, whenever I'll get it in. But some other players want to be at a specific time. So you got to kind of work it, you know, mm-hmm. but it's all about communicating with them and then getting through it. So luckily with us, we didn't have a whole lot of guys that were hard about specific times. So it made our lives a lot easier. But, you know, in the, in the G League, your staff's smaller. So you don't necessarily have as many people. So you have to have bigger groups going at similar times. And it's important to communicate, okay, here's how our pregame warm-ups are going to go. We're going to get to the arena at this time, right? We're going to hit the floor at this time. You know, this group goes at this time. Here are the coaches that are going to be with them. And I have found it really important to empower the, the assistant coaches to take that and really kind of run with it because as the head coach, especially during those times, it's time to really kind of focus in, watch your film, whatever your pregame process was. I always try to dive into that. So empowering your assistants to say, basically, listen, here's what we generally want this to look like. Here's the timing on it here, you know, what the players should be doing at a specific time, but you know, what that looks like on the floor, you guys are in charge of that. And just make sure it's player friendly, make sure that they're comfortable with it and that it's efficient. And I thought just touching on that was was important because it's, you know, it's part of it, part of the you know game day process. And are these routines players are going through, are they generally the same or, or sometimes they are a development focus, depending on the type of player you've got out there? Most of the time, they're pretty much the same. I think pregame is for those guys to prepare to play and, and compete. You know, so it's more about just getting them in the mental state that they need to be in to execute whatever you're asking them to do. And then the player development stuff comes, you know, next day, you know, Mm. in the film, whatever it is. So it's pretty much the same all the time. Now, players would, you know, make small suggestions like, well, they top lock. So why don't we work on this counter in this specific part of our warm up? Okay, cool. Let's do it. You know, that kind of stuff. I think that's that's definitely part of it. You see a typical thing if you're there for, you know, the pregame stuff. And I see that, you know, you do your workout with the players, then often you're doing video with them right after. That's very common, I imagine. But what type of video are you showing them? Is it video of them? Is it video of the opponent? Or is it a combination? Usually it's a combination of, okay, here are some things from last game that I think translate to this game. And then here's what your matchup is doing. Here's what the things that they're going to run for them or a reminder on the walkthrough. Remember, you know, this is a small adjustment from what we normally do. Make sure that you're locked in on that. I think that's that's usually kind of the the, the makeup of that film, especially pregame. And then any film that you show the next day, it's more development focused in terms of, you know, here's your footwork on this. You don't necessarily, I mean, some coaches will show that type of stuff right before the game, which I think has a benefit as well. But for me, in terms of the things that I've shown players going into a game, it's more focused on preparing them for the next 48 minutes. I'm just going to say, like, we know the integration of sports science is really important, especially at the NBA level where you said you have more resources available. So do sports science, does sports science get involved in the pregame warmup in the sense that this player's load needs to be less or more in pregame? Or is it, again, as just generally the routine? Generally the, the routine. I think that, that, that portion of the day is usually pretty 
like sports science free unless there's an injury, unless there's some sort of a of a of a you know a, a slowdown on that player. But for the most part, it's like they got the routine. Let them do it. That's great. And then post game, we said, how do you recover? And then, you know, what type of, what type of, I guess, communication are you providing for the players post game? Like logistics are a huge part of any NBA or G league season when you're traveling, especially. So take us through what post game, what's happening. I think post game is important from an instinctual standpoint, like coaches have to do what their instincts tell them, but for the most part, it's a less like conversational time than probably most people would think it's just like okay good job or we lost that one we'll talk about it tomorrow i think that's huge it, it, and it like i sometimes i won't even watch film until the next morning i'll set my alarm early wake up watch the game after a night of sleep because you're emotional you're frustrated you're mad at the refs like whatever it is you got to let all those things filter out of your 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 basketball soul <laughs> so you can see the game through the correct lens and sometimes you can do it right after the game but that needs to be a, in my opinion that needs to be applied to how you communicate with the team too you know you can say and do things after games that players just don't want to hear and they need that time too to relax and you know get a night of sleep and then I think having your routine in terms of how you approach post game, well, okay, here, we're going to watch our defensive edit. We're going to watch our offensive edit. We're going to watch the things that we need to improve on. And that's going to be how we do it every single game. So I think in terms of preparing your players to accept information, providing us like a consistent time every single day where when they sit down, they know, okay, this is when I really need to focus because this is when the information is coming at me. I think it's huge. I think it's really important. And Willie does a heck of a job with that. He really does. And I've learned a lot from him in terms of just how we communicate our thoughts, our praise, our adjustments, our improvements, all those things come at a very specific time when the players sit down and they know, okay, I got to lock in here. And that for me has been a huge, huge learning process. So I guess another decision is who's actually involved in these staff retreats. And I say that from the analytics perspective, are, are the analytics people involved in these staff retreats or is that something that's integrated later? You know, it's funny for me, I tr- like, we didn't necessarily have an analytics guy, but we had one in LA and Doc made sure that he was in all of our meetings. You know what I mean? And he was specifically focused on being a part of the coaching staff. So he was in everything. And I thought that that he would, <laughs> you get an argument, everyone would just look at him, you know, like, okay, pull the numbers up. Like, what is it? You know, but also just having a, a very healthy relationship with analytics, I think is so important, you know, because at the end of the day, they are a part of our game and they can absolutely help you if you just do it right. If you give it the thought that it needs and apply it to your philosophies the right way. Yes have them in there for sure. But for me on the G League level, we tried to implement as much of the analytical stuff as we possibly could, but it didn't necessarily make as much sense because your roster changed so much that the analytics from last year probably didn't necessarily apply as cleanly as you would have liked them to, you know. Not not a big enough sample size. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the go-to, I know. (laughs) So, but you, you, I mean, you've referenced this, define your relationship with analytics. And, you know, you mentioned a small plane team analogy and some mirror analogy and all these different analogies. So I want to dive into these because I think that's really important for coaches to kind of understand some of these analogies that might help them better integrate and work with analytics. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen analytics kind of, once it kind of really entered into the fold, you know, just like anything in the United States, like if something different comes along, it's going to be polarizing. Right. And I thought analytics definitely had that effect on basketball. I mean, the old school coaches who just didn't necessarily want to have to think about those things were just like, no, we're not doing that. I don't care about the numbers. We're doing it the way I want to do it. And over time, you've seen analytics have such a massive effect on how things are done and how the game is played. I think it's so massively important to define how your relationship with that is going to be. And it's got to be a good one because it's a real thing and it's part of the game. And if you approach it the right way, it can absolutely be a mirror that you basically put up 
your own philosophy against, and you can either make decisions in terms of, okay, here's what we're doing, right? It's not eliciting the numbers that we necessarily want it to. Okay, then it allows you to make the decision. Do we need to focus on this more, practice it more, change some of the ways we're working on it, or do we need to completely change our philosophy and go a different direction? You know, and I think, for example, like you see, we've seen this in the last couple of years too. It's like everyone has been focused on getting back in transition. That's been a big thing. Like everyone back, three guys back, four guys back, whatever it is, get back, identify risk, whatever it is. Everyone's got their own terminology for it. But then now you're seeing teams doubling down on offensive rebounding. And there are certain teams that are in the top 10 in offensive rebounds or second chance points in the NBA and in the top 10 in opponents fast break points. And, you know, if you're crashing the glass and forcing those guys to block out and, and, and stay in your quarter court, like they can't leak out as much. So analytics definitely affected that. I can guarantee you that it, that it had, it had an effect on that. And then if you go down the line in terms of the small little nuances that you see in our game, they've definitely had an analytical kind of flavor to them in terms of how your decisions are made and how we're going to approach it. And I, you know, going back to having a relationship with it, you got to do the work and you have to do, have the conversations with the analytics people and have the relationship with them that you're going to accept their information as suggestions and not reasons why you're screwing up. It's great. It's great to hear that. And, you know, and, and kind of references is disagreements and that being obviously good for a staff is to have these disagreements and these discussions. But then you also talk about some phrasing, which is discuss, argue, and align. Can you talk about that process of getting back to that alignment? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, again, arguments are really important to have. You know, you never, you never want to just sit there and agree all the time because you're just going to be, you know, one dimensional as a staff or as a team or whatever it is, like, I think you have to learn how to argue. You have to learn how to lose an argument. You have to learn how to, you know, disagree with someone, step out of a room, execute something you maybe didn't agree with early on, and then experience success through doing that. All those things are, are massively important for staff to go through, but also I think just development wise as a coach, like none of us are ever done developing the the game's changing constantly every day, every, every year and having different perspectives on things, you know, arguing with them or agreeing with them, whatever it is. And then stepping out of a room aligned with, okay, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent on board with this. And they know that, but I'm going to teach this. Like I'm a thousand percent on board with this because that's what we need to do. And then when those things work, it's like, it's just like, okay, this process works. It's not like you were wrong. Like, okay, I was, I was wrong that time, but I could be right in the next conversation. I think the agreement, the disagreement and then aligning massive, you know, it's in, that was one of the, the, the biggest things that my, my dad kind of made sure to communicate with me as I was a young developing coach was like, don't be afraid to disagree but then also don't be afraid to, to admit when you're wrong and then apply what you just learned to your development. And if you can do that with thick skin and really good respect for your peers, it can only make your staff stronger. Hey coach, I just want to let you know, Basketball Immersion is proud to partner with Just Play. I had the chance to spend some time with Just Play in New Orleans at the Final Four, and I was blown away by the next level simplicity and effectiveness of this all-in-one solution for coaches to prepare faster and connect with today's players. Just Play provides an elite experience for coaches to better teach, scout, and recruit on one platform. Just Play integrates with any video editing solution to streamline how you prepare and engage your players. Sign up for a free demo, www dot just play solutions dot com forward slash bball immersion so we're at our staff retreat casey hill and chris oliver assistant coaches disagree on something how does that look and then how does that look relative to a head coach what what is the head coach's responsibility in that is it to let that argument go and then you know bring it back or take us through that process it's funny. I think it's important, again, like you got to trust your own instincts in those moments. But I think as long as it's being 
is this you guys aren't screaming and yelling at each other, standing up, you know, throwing their, we, we'd you know. be very respectful coach. Yeah, exactly. Like you let that go. Yeah. You know, I think because that relationship's going to be really important for you and al- allow those, those two guys to have that discussion, to have that argument. And I think the biggest thing is as a, as a leader, or just anyone who's on the outskirts of that conversation, it could, it could be between the head coach and someone else, but you have to listen. You have to sit there and legitimately listen and, and be a participant in that argument without actually speaking. And then once, you know, once things fizzle down, when the decision is made, like, here's what we're going to do. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying, but here's what I think fits our team. And here's what I think is the most appropriate for what we're trying to do. And then we can make this an adjustment. I mean, that, that's one of the best things in terms of solving arguments. If you don't want to do something, but it's a valid argument, you just say, okay, let's make that our adjustment. Okay, cool. And then you just move off of it, right? But, but it is your adjustment. Like, okay, we're going to try what you said. All right, let's do it, you know? And it's always very satisfying for the assistant that didn't really win that argument for when you go to that adjustment and it works. It's like, Great news. <laughs> We're going to table that and come back to that. Yeah, that's great. No, I love those little insights like that. And then Casey Hill is the head coach then. Is it harder to argue with the head coach? Is it harder to have those discussions with the head coach? And if it's not, it's because you've created the right culture and the right environment. So take us through that. How have you created that environment for Chris Oliver to be able to argue with you? I think it really kind of depends on the head coach. hmm you know, I think it, it really does, because I think some head coaches won't put themselves in position to be argued with, you know, and if you're willing to put yourself in a position where there are arguments and rich conversations going on around you, then you're probably going to be willing to argue with somebody. And especially for me, like I like I said, I try to hire people and bring people in that I thought were smarter than me. So naturally, I was going to be learning some things from them or you know, something completely different coming at me. When you're arguing in those moments, you have to argue as equals. I think is really important and make sure that you maintain a level of respect, which I've always, in my, I've been fortunate in my time as an assistant coach that every head coach I've worked with has been amazingly open to suggestions, loves arguments, but also maintain this level of like mutual professional respect that allowed us to really, and moving forward is so important to not take a step back because someone's feelings got hurt or because, you know, you just told me to shut the hell up and stop talking. You know, that, that never happened for me. And I, it, it, I mean, I'm sure it has happened. It definitely has. And I think it's important, you know, if you're going to put yourselves in a position to argue, then you need to argue the right way. That's great stuff. And another part you referenced already is, you know, when you get into the basketball stuff, the technical and tactile stuff, you know, how you're going to practice, how you're going to play, what sets, special situations, et cetera. Is, is this happening through video? Is this happening on court with the coaches walking through it? Can you take us through that process of the staff retreat? Every year for me, it was a little different just because of the makeup of my staff, but film is always a big part of it. And I, I've always been a big believer that you got to watch film with your staff because that's when you really start to blend your instincts. You run it back, look at this, you know, and it's something you didn't see. Ah, you know, okay, run it back, look at this. It's like you get to learn how other people in the room see it, and it's the best with film because you can rewind, you know, and that's huge. And it helps the younger coaches as well because as a head coach, it allows them to see the game kind of through your eyes a little bit. I think it's huge. One of the, one of the coolest things that we did in Santa Cruz, and we had some really great resources in Santa Cruz. We had PlaySide and Emotion, both of them. Basically, those cameras that no one needed to operate, they just followed the action on the on the floor, right? We utilized that. And my last year in Santa Cruz, we had a staff that <clears throat> could move. Like we had a lot of guys that played, and we got out on the court and we're discussing our offense. I'm talking about an early offensive concept and they're like, well, let's run it. Let's just run it. And it, it went from like us kind of running through it to full blown us sweating through our shirts, running our entire offense and filming it and having it prepared. We'd cut it up and we were able to show it to our players. And, you know, they got a kick out of it because it was, you know, me, one of my assistants and, you know, a couple of our interns like running around running our offense, but it was a good example of like, Hey, here's how we want to do it. So I think it goes differently every time. I think it's great because it shouldn't go the same every time 
because it should be really a reflection of the personality of the staff that you're developing. You know, I think it's really important. Uh, take us through video then. Are, are you doing group video sessions with players? Let's go more in-season, preseason. Are you doing group video sessions or is it more individual-based video sessions? And then when you do the group video sessions, how are you assigning that responsibility as the head coach? So I think this goes, this is kind of different for everyone that, that, you know, that, that coaches are maybe the same, but I, I think individual film is important. Like you assign a coach to a player, you assign a coach to a couple of players and you're in charge of their film. And I think early on, how, how do you determine which player gets assigned to which coach generally? And does it switch within the year on some staffs? You know what? I've never been a part of a staff that switched it up. I've heard about it, but I've never experienced it. And I'm sure that's probably got some different values that I've, I've never really experienced. But for me, it's like, okay, you, it's more of a feel like, okay, this guy's got a good feel for the point guard position or, you know, he played point guard, you know, or whatever it is he coached and his philosophy was this and it, you know, it's better for the bigs. Like you kind of figure out what the personality of the coach and apply it to what level of, or what amount of players you want to give them to. That's kind of how I've done it. If you have more veteran coaches, you probably put them with, you know, your lead assistant, whatever it is, because their players are a little bit less in need of things. So it gives them more time to focus on their scouting, whatever it is. But then going into the film, it's like you have your edits, you show the players. And then basically the way I did it was your two lead assistants are going to take the offense and the defense and they show that the edits to, to the team and having a consistent like length of time, a consistent level of communication in terms of how the edits are broken up. Like, okay, we're always going to start with transition. We're always going to have a pick and roll coverage segment in there, whether it's good or bad. And, and anything you feel like the person kind of elicited to us that at the end and then, you know, whatever else, but keep that within 15 clips, you know, offense, defense, and that become really the expected level of teaching every day for the players. Like I said, like giving them a time every day where they know, okay, here's where I got to legitimately be locked in. It's great stuff to understand. And is it a similar process for throughs in the sense that certain coaches have certain responsibilities? And is that decided that far in advance at the staff retreats? So walkthroughs definitely are, are were discussed with me. And there was a specific format. And this was something that I kind of kept because I I found something that worked and stuck with it in terms of how a walkthrough or really a shoot around was, was formatted. And usually it was whatever coach had the scout, like he had the walkthrough portion of the, of the shoot around. But then we got to a point where the first, like probably 25, 30 minutes of the walkthrough or the shoot around was pretty scripted. Like coaches had specific responsibilities throughout the process that they just kind of you didn't even have to say anything to them. Like they just knew, okay, okay, then it's, it's this time I got it, you know, we'll do it. And then once we got to a certain point, it was like, okay, walk through starting, scout coach has it. Great stuff. I guess when it comes to scouting and without diving too deep into the scouting rabbit hole, do certain coaches, like, do they request certain teams? Like, would they do that? Like you're very experienced with certain team. Is that something you would offer as saying that's it? Or is that generally not happened? Yeah, no, I think definitely, you know, if, if a coach comes from a coach, like if, if I, you know, you have an assistant that comes from a coaching tree and that guy's a head coach for a specific team, he's, to, he's got that team. Like, it's just, you know, you, you understand terminology, you understand, you know, philosophies and things like that. And it just gives you a small leg up in terms of when you step into preparation for that team. That's huge. I mean, it just makes sense too. And, you know, the scouting process in the NBA is something I've grown to like absolutely love. It's one of my favorite parts of my job. It's just, it's where you get to learn, man. And it's where, where you get to prepare messages for a team and really kind of throw your passions into it. And I love it. I love it. So as long as you want to talk about scouting, I'm in, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, take us, through, take us through maybe your process then with scouting. Just like, where do you start when it's your scout? And how far in advance do you start? So it usually depends on if I've watched a team before like if, if it's my first time watching a team really what you're trying to do is identify the personality of the team 
Like, what are their values? What, what in terms of just watching them on film, like, how, what are the values that you can just perceive right away? You know, and I think some teams, it's very clear. Okay, this is a middle driving team. They want the paint and everything is born from that. Or this is a high level pick and roll team, whatever it is. You can you can identify other teams. It takes a little bit longer, and then as you as you kind of dive a little bit further into it, then you really start creating your edits. Like I, I'm a big, I watch every possession and take a note on every possession. And then you know, Sports Code is one of the most unbelievable resources that we have, and it allows us to do our jobs at an unbelievably efficient rate. And I I don't know where I would like if if we didn't have Sports Code, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't want to talk about scouting because it's just, you're not as efficient with it, but you know, you create your edits and then you really kind of start diving into, okay, now how am I going to communicate this personality? What's the most efficient level of terminology that I can throw at these guys in a small amount of time in an NBA season in order to absolutely maximize the impact of the information. And that for me is one of the more interesting parts of doing this because it forces you to kind of step outside yourself, learn from other coaches, you know, find different ideas and work them into how you're communicating with the staff. Because, you know, a lot of times you're going to show what you're going to present to the team, to the staff, have a conversation with them about that, and then go into the team and show that to the team. So the preparation that leads into those things is just, it's just, it's, it's, it's great. I love it. So the decision, so about actually, oh, and let's go back, actually. This is a great example of fill your cup and then you have to mm-hmm. empty your cup, right? Because I'm, I'm, I know one of the hard parts for Scout for me was I got really excited about so many things that I thought we could do or take advantage of, et cetera. But then you can't do them all. And yeah. that's the challenge. So before you empty your cup, are you first showing the majority of it to the coaching staff and then they help you empty the cup? Yeah, I mean, really, at the end of the day, you fill the cup, but you organize the cup as well. So basically, what you're showing the staff is what you believe is the finished product. Okay. And then, and then you can make small trims or edits or additions to that as you, you know, kind of go through it. And it, uh, the great thing is when you're or, when you're organized enough to show it to your staff, and they understand like this is what you this is the final product of what you want to show the team. They could have seen a game that that team played you know, a couple of days ago or having coached a player or a coach with a coach or anything like that. Great experience that that's the moment for them to speak up and add value to what you're doing. And I think from a, like a, just organizing your time perspective, it's great to have those moments because I can know someone as a scout and we got this game coming up and it might be a big game instead of, interrupting them while they're going through their process of developing that organized product that they're going to show us. I know I've got the time. Right, I'm going to make this point to him when he's done. Cause he may have already seen it, you know? So it's it that I love that. I, I, that's, that's huge in terms of just how you respect each other in terms of going through each other's processes and then having the moment to, to dive into that. I got off on a tangent and I forgot what your original question was. That's great. I love your tangents. We learn more on tangents, I find sometimes. Well, I want to bring it back actually more even to the debrief after after the scout. So you play the game and Mm -hmm. I think really the important process is also for you and I don't know if this is with you or with the staff or whatever that you debrief on the scout. It helps guide you for the next time because you play multiple games against the same opponent over the course of a season. So I'm just curious about that process, what you do for debriefing on your own scout. Yeah, so it's more just personal because once the game's over, you're you're moving. You're, you're, You're collecting the things that you need to learn for your team to throw at them the next day. And then you're moving on because it just come at you. It was so fast. So it really kind of comes down to, for me, what, what I like to try to do is, is make sure that I watch my, my edit, I watch my film and I'm creating a bunch of different edits as I go through the game, right? Like one for a player or two players, whatever it is, but then, okay, great examples of why we're going to do this next time we play the team, great examples of why we need to adjust a specific thing and it could be a portion of what I show the coaching staff or we go into our scout the next game but having those things prepared and doing it in an organized way 
And then you know, the great thing is analytics departments and every team in the NBA, they send out reports after every game. So you can take those numbers and apply them quickly to any philosophy that you thought worked or didn't. You know, we tried to do this in this game, but look at the numbers against it. Like we got to adjust that. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's important, but having a, a streamlined process that you can execute after every game is important because you could have another scout in two games that you have to focus on. So like there's only so much that you can do without getting inefficient time-wise and then getting behind on it on your next project or whatever it is. So finding that balance for yourself in, in a post-game atmosphere is, is really important because you could really harp on things and spend too much time and you can get behind on other things. It is one of the advantages of the professional level when you have so many games coming at you that you don't have time to stay in the past, do you? I mean, you get get back to present focus quite a bit as opposed to, you know, sometimes in college or high school, you have multiple days in between games. So I got to think that's an advantage, isn't it? Yeah, that was definitely an advantage. I mean, it could be a disadvantage because especially the younger the NBA gets, hmm. the more time you need to to develop these guys and 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 communicate. But the great thing is, you know, and this isn't a great thing, but it, it makes coaching a little bit easier. The same mistake probably continues to be made. So if you have a long view on it and you, you say, okay, listen, this is an issue right here that we're not going to be able to fix right away, but we can do it over the next 10 games. So let's be thoughtful in terms of how we massage this issue out of our system. And that's where I think the great coaches do it. And it's something that you don't see you know, as a spectator, as a fan, some of the best coaches in the world recognize an issue and don't try to like smack it out of the way right away. They understand, okay, we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna slowly communicate and and build this thing out of our system as we go over the next seven to ten games. And that's huge. Well, I'm glad you shared that because we've shared that a few times on this podcast, this this concept of fans or media saying, oh, you didn't make any adjustments. And it's just, again, it's just not that simple. And it's not that easy. There's no magic wand. I mean, I, I think their perception of what an adjustment is, is completely differently than the reality, isn't it? Agreed. And I mean, adjustments are really hard to see, mm-hmm. you know, and adjustments are, you know, are hard to do sometimes, you know, and, and sometimes... The adjustment that the team that that you know the outside world wants you to make makes absolutely no sense for the team that you have. Like go small and switch everything, but we don't have a small lineup that can guard those guys out there. So we're not going to do that. You know, it's, it's things like that that you know if you let that you know the mad world kind of get into your brain, I mean, it can really mess you up. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> do you listen to any type of media or any type of stuff like that in season? No, I didn't uh, think. Uh, yeah, funny. I just last year realized what hoop type was. I didn't even know what that was. I'm, I, you know, growing up as a, as an NBA coach's son, you know, I got, I'll never, I'll never forget this. I was, I was in seventh grade. My dad was coaching the San Antonio Spurs and he got fired. It was at the time it was a, it was a controversial firing. And there was a specific columnist in San Antonio that just kind of had it out for my dad. I came home from war from from work from school, and my mom was sitting at the kitchen table crying because she had just read that article. And the effect that it had on me was, I didn't realize it at the time, but then once I became a head coach and I, and I, and I started realizing, like, oh, there's my name's in the media now, like my name's in the small, you know, local newspaper in, in Santa Cruz. I stopped reading it, and it's kind of been my philosophy, I guess, throughout my entire career since that moment, it's like, it doesn't matter. You got to do what you do, you know, and, and let those people have their opinions and then, you know, go after it. But yeah, it's tough when you, when you allow that stuff to, to, to feed into what you're doing. That's a tremendous pers- perspective. Thanks for sharing that. Coach Hill, this has been amazing. Thank you for all the insights and perspectives on all this stuff and stuff that I haven't covered enough on the podcast. So just tremendous, but any, any last thoughts to share with coaches? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Like, obviously, it was such a, a terrible thing that happened to our world. But one of the things, one of the, you know, there's silver linings all over the place. And I think everyone's kind of acknowledged that as we've gone through this as a society. But like, from a coaching perspective, the value, like the, 
what's the word I'm looking for? The availability of information that people have, coaches have really kind of dove into, I think has been awesome. You know, during COVID, diving into all the different Zooms that were going on and the, and the sharing of information, I think was huge. And things like this, podcasts, Zooms, whatever it is, talking, having conversations, sharing philosophies, you know, revealing your own instincts to, to the world at large, I think is, is so cool. And the fact that you do this on a regular basis, and you're such a great question, and with all your experience, I think this type of stuff is just, it's so valuable, man. And it's uplifting as a coach. And I've been around coaches my entire life. You know, and I've been in conversations like this my entire life and, and to see this kind of expanding out and, and blowing up and this podcast kind of be available to whoever wants to come listen to it, which I think is awesome. So thank you for doing this kind of stuff. And anytime you want to have me back, I'd definitely jump on. We could talk about other stuff. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Ken. Yeah, I agree with your sentiment. It's, it's been tremendous to be able to have access to people like you and to be able to share the game. So thank you. Thank you for listening to the Basketball Podcast. Learn more from some of the best coaches in the world at ImmersionVideos.com. At ImmersionVideos.com, our unwavering commitment to you is to offer the tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. If you're a better coach now than you were yesterday, we've done our job, and so have you. The goal is to focus on authentic sharing of resources you can use to help your players and teams improve. Drills, tactics, techniques, philosophies, practice design, and so much more will be shared from numerous coaches, including Nate Oates, Doug Novak, Aaron Fern, Dave Smart, and so many more to come. Go to ImmersionVideos.com now to check out all the products and follow at ImmersionVideos on Twitter to keep up to date. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, Subscribe to our newsletter at basketballmersion.com slash newsletter.